Well, I also would like to welcome you all to our Wednesday evening Bible study now. And uh, just to uh, reemphasize something that Pastor Sean was, was uh, sharing with us about this coming weekend. We are really blessed and looking forward to this. Uh, but uh, because it's, it's being done, it's a completely different thing than we're used to because we've never gone through this before. Uh, we've never had a, a period of time where we could not have services. And, uh, of course, we could talk for days as to why this is happening. And uh, we try to emphasize uh, each and every uh, uh, meeting that we have that, uh, you know, we're, we're living in the last days. We're living in times that, that uh, are, are, are much different than they've ever been. But uh, one thing is for sure. Uh, we live in a country that, we, uh, that has given us the opportunity and certainly the, the blessing and the privilege of, of, uh, of uh, meeting together uh, for the sake of giving honor and glory and worship and praise to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And uh, when there seems to be some stifling going on, uh, you know, it makes it tough. But uh, we're going to press on and we're going to do so under uh, particular guidelines the one thing I do ask for everyone who will be able to come this coming Saturday night or Sunday morning, the one thing I ask is that you will respect what we're doing, that you'll respect what we're trying to do to make sure that everyone uh, is uh, feeling comfortable in coming, because I know that there are some who are still concerned about uh, uh, the, the COVID-19, uh, uh, but yet want to be here. But we need to respect that. And we need to respect each, each other. You know, if, if some people want to wear masks, they can. We're not uh, going to uh, put any kind of uh, enforcement in that as far as being in here. Uh, we are going to enforce, or not so much enforce, but we're going to abide by the six-foot uh, uh, social distancing uh, spaces uh, and so on until things really get just, you know, we, we're just looking for that day where we don't have to do that anymore. But uh, until then, again, we want to respect those who are struggling with things yet want to be here. And, and I want to also emphasize that if you do have pre-existing uh, conditions and, uh, and it's a matter of age or whatever, then I would encourage you just stay and do what you're doing now, which is watching us uh, on uh, one of the platforms uh, in, in which uh, you're receiving the Bible study uh, tonight as well as uh, every night that we're, that we're here. I know that there are many of you that cannot come to church sometimes when we're just doing regular church uh, and you watch us on, on uh, live stream. And we appreciate that. And we appreciate your prayers and we appreciate your love and, and uh, the wonderful comments that you've given us but uh, we do, you know, as we're starting this, we, we want to be sure that, that uh, everyone is, is respected in this, in this place. So I've emphasized that word respect a lot, but uh, it was on purpose. So uh, with that in mind, tonight we're going to be studying the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And so if you have a Bible, let's, let's turn to that passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to focus focus our attention on verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read here in just a moment verses 1 through 13. 
But before we begin, I, I, I just want to make a, a, a few comments about this particular study uh, tonight. Those of you who may remember the 60s, uh, that might not have, uh, be a, a, a remembrance for everybody out there, but those of you who can remember the 60s will remember two things that pertain to this particular passage of Scripture that we're reading and studying tonight. Of course, in the 60s, there was a song called Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds, and uh, they actually uh, based that song on the text in, uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. That's what most people remember when they hear that song of those that remember the 60s. Now, I also want to bring something else up. On November the 22nd, 1963, if you were around in those days, you would remember that day. It's a day that uh, seemed to have uh, caused the world to stop. It was a day that we heard that uh, President John F. Kennedy had been shot in Dallas and eventually would, uh, would, uh, would die from his wounds. Uh, so that was the day that uh, uh, the assassination of, of a president took place. We remember the day and the place and, and sometimes even the, the, the events around us when we heard about that. But why do I bring that up? I bring it up because the words of Ecclesiastes 3 were to be used by President Kennedy in his address that afternoon. He was going to use those same words in his speech, and he never got to use them because of what had happened that afternoon. We're living in a very, very unique time in history. We're going through some very struggling times. Uh, things are happening and have happened over the last couple of months that we, we never thought would, would ever happen in the manner that they have. But I want us to focus on this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. While we're going through this, and even though we'll be coming back to, you know, to church this coming weekend, uh, it, it is under certain differences than, than we're used to. We need to adapt. We need to be flexible about what we're doing. But it brought to mind something that I had heard someone say many, many years ago, and he said it many years ago, yet it, it seems as if he could have written it today. And let me quote this statement. Daily, we face the possibility of disaster given the impact of the fall on creation, the rebellion of the human spirit, and the presence of the demonic in persons and organizations. Vigilance to do what we can and trust in God to make sense of circumstances beyond our control. These are the responses 
that help keep us sane in a world gone crazy. End quote. Vigilance to do what we can and trust in God to make sense of circumstances beyond our control. As we read the text, keep those things in mind. Solomon, as the preacher, says in verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Time is something that affects us all. It is woven into almost every conversation that we have about anything. Think about it. Consider these statements. What time does church start? Or, I don't have time right now. How much time do you need to fix my car? Please don't waste my time. It's time to go. Here's my favorite. What time do we eat? (laughs) I need to take some time off. Time is something that we consider in practically everything we do. Many things have been written about time down through the centuries, from the most pessimistic to the most profound. From the 17th century, a man named Pierre Corneille said, Time has a way of insulting the most beautiful things and will fade rosy cheeks just as he has wrinkled my brow. 
or in the, in the 18th century, and Benjamin Franklin is, is attributed to this particular quote, lost time is never found again. And then the early 20th century poet uh, Henry Van Dyke said, time is too slow for those who wait, too long for those who grieve, too short for those who rejoice, but for those who love, time is eternity. And then something I heard not long ago that was probably late 20th century. Time heals all wounds except leaky faucets. Take it for what it's worth. But how profound the words of Oswald Chambers when he said, there is no other time than now with God. No past and no future. He also said, time is nothing to God. And lastly, consider this, a statement found in one of his great devotionals. He said, we can choke God's word with a yawn. We can hinder the time that should be spent with God by remembering we have other things to do. I haven't the time. Of course you have the time. Take time. Strangle some other interests and make time to realize that the center of power in your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a tremendous statement. And I love the fact that he said, take time, strangle some other interests. Why would he put it that way? Because too often, other interests strangle our time with God. Strangle it to the point of making us ineffective for the gospel. Strangling it to the point of causing us to move away from God rather than toward him. Solomon looked into time to find the meaning of life and to see if it was worth living. What he discovered was that everything around him was in perpetual change. He sought to find happiness in such a, a shifting scene. He found that without God, there was no stability. There was no focus center to the wheel of nature. And it's interesting that that James, in James chapter 3, verse 6, talks about the wheel or the circuit of nature. When he says in James 3, verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so, that, so the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course. That word, course, is the circuit or the wheel of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. And again, without God, there's no stability and no focus and no center to that wheel that does turn and changes in this life. And everything that Solomon had learned in his laboratory of life amounted to grasping after broken soap bubbles and trying to contain a piece of the wind. You ever try to keep a soap bubble 
alive. I try, but it doesn't work. As soon as it gets to its biggest point, it's gone. Ever try to contain a piece of the wind? Can't even see it. How are you going to do that? But that's the way some people live their lives. You see, wisdom and pleasure and riches and desires, all those things without God, and again, listen carefully, without God, they amounted to nothing. And Solomon was learning that. Of course, he should have known that from the very beginning because here was the man who had asked God for wisdom. When God said, what is it that you want, Solomon? Solomon said, I want wisdom. I want to know clearly the difference between good and evil. Want to know these things. But when you take your eyes off of the Lord, when you take your eyes off of the one who created you and made you, What is going to happen? Before he could say that life is monotonous and meaningless, he discovered from his examination of all that was around him that there is something above the sun. Remember the phrase, under the sun? That's living life. You know, his his way of saying that this is how life is lived without God. But he discovered there is something above the sun. Actually, not something, but someone. Someone who is above man. A God who is in control of time and who has balanced all of life's experiences. That was, that's what we just read in verses 1 through 8. God has balanced life's experiences under the sun. He also saw something within man that tied or linked him to God. It was eternity. Eternity in his heart. That's what we'll see in verses 9 through 11. But let's consider the first eight verses and and, and consider this thought. We need to focus upward. We always need to focus upward because God is in control of all. Not of some, but of all. God is in control of all. Verse 1, chapter 3, Ecclesiastes, to everything. There is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Solomon now sees that this is not a world of chance or of fate. Much of the world lives that way today. As if you get what you get, you know, if you're lucky or you're not lucky. Words like luck is worldly thought. Words like chance, you know. And fate. He sees that this is not a world of chance. It is not a world of fate, but, of every, but everything has a fixed time. Everything has a fixed time. To everything there is a season. And a time to every purpose. Under the heaven. And these, not dependent. They're not dependent on man's care. They're not dependent on man's thought. And they're not dependent upon man's effort. I want want you to read a verse in Acts 15, verse 18, that's attributed to Peter. And there in Acts 15, verse 18, he says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. 
Known unto God are all his works. That says a lot about God who is in control of all things. He knows all of his works from the beginning of the world. And in fact, you could say from the beginning to the end and from the end to the beginning, God has known all of his works. Everything that he's done, everything that he's planned, everything that he's been planning for us. Or you can hear Psalm 66 verse 7. You can hear in this statement very similar thought. He, speaking of God, ruleth by his power forever. Well, forever means a long, long time. It means for everlasting. It means that there is, in, in his being eternal, there is no end to his rule. His eyes behold the nations, he says. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. That would be anybody else that would not consider that God is alone the ruler by his power forever. Or you can hear in Proverbs 5, verse 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. That means every man and every person on this earth, there's not one person that God does not know of. There's not one person that God is not aware of. There's not one person on this earth that has slipped under the radar, as it were. I was having a conversation with somebody, somebody the other day and talking about the fact that you know, there's some people, you know, looking at the problems in this world today with, with all of the technology and everything that knows exactly where you are at, at, the, at any given moment. And, 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 there, and there are people today who say, man, is there any way to get out from under the radar? Well, you know, it's possible but not probable nowadays. Uh, probably, but eh. But with God... There's no way to escape. We could try to escape man. We cannot escape God. We cannot escape his ponderings of all of man's goings, of all that man does, of all that man thinks, of all that man creates in his own mind as, as if he thinks that his mind is the creative being or element. Or Proverbs 15 verse 3 that says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. How do you escape those? Beholding the evil and the good, he sees it all under the heaven. These scriptures give us insight into the unchangeableness of God's will. Stephen Charnock writes this. He said, if God could change his purpose, he would change his nature. Well, we know one thing. God will never change his nature. God is who he is. And praise the Lord for that, because because of who he is, then his purposes are perfect, his purposes are complete, and his purposes are all for good. Man's works are fickle and short-sighted in regard to purpose. You can look at your own life. (laughs) We can go back to grade school. We might have had a little bit of a purpose. Remember the questions we used to be asked? What do you want to be when you grow up? When you, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer. I want to be this. I want to be that. Ten, ten years later, unless you were really bent on getting to that 
particular desire or dream, you were probably something else. Or you could have been something else five days later. Because man sometimes says, oh, I like that better. Ooh, I like that better. And by the way, that's not just kids. <laughs> Adults do that. So man's works are fickle and short-sighted in regard to purpose, but the Lord has established his purposes from the foundation of the world. Way before we could ever know. Way before we were even around. Now, there is a season. There is a season for every work of God. There was a season for Israel's deliverance from Egypt and for their return to and from Babylon. There was the appointed season for Christ's appearance on the earth. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, and, and it's in verse four, 5 that we see the purpose. But in Galatians 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Here's the purpose. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. What great purpose that was. And that was a purpose before the foundation of the world before anything was created, before any of us were made and fashioned in our mother's wombs. Verse 11 of our text truly reveals the heart of God in his working in our individual lives and seeking to accomplish his will in them. We're coming back to this, but I just wanted to read this one phrase. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. God has made everything beautiful. And the word beautiful has, has to also do with purpose. That there is a purpose for everyone under the heaven. There is a purpose. You know, in, prepara in preparation for this particular study, I... I would sit at the piano and sing an old song that we used to sing in church. In his time. In his time. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time. In your time, in your time. You make all things beautiful in your time. Lord, my life to you I give. May each song I have to sing be to you a lovely thing in your time. God has made everything beautiful in his time. And what we must always remember about our God, our Lord, our God, our Savior, our King, is that his timing is always perfect. His timing is always perfect. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, has a very interesting statement here. 
but interesting in the sense that, you know, it, it allows us to ponder God's timing. It says, and therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. And notice this, blessed are all they that wait for him. See, when we wait for him, we know one thing, God, his timing is perfect. But yet he starts by waiting for us. Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. There's a depth in that statement that I don't want you to miss. There are times when we look back at a portion of our life, maybe a recent portion of our life where we have stumbled and struggled and faltered and failed, and we've thought, that's really about it for me with God. And yet all along, how patient God has been to get us at the right moment, at that perfect point, to bring us back to him, to bring us the lost sheep back into his fold. We see a good example of that in Peter and his day-by-day relationship with Jesus. How Peter was so spontaneous sometimes in the things that he did. Yet The Lord waited and then blessed him. And how he waits for us. This is not giving you license to go out and do whatever you want. This is for you to know where you need to stay is near his heart. Let's go on to Ecclesiastes 3, verses 2 through 8. And that contrast of our lives on every statement made a contrast, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Generally speaking, all of these events come from God and are good in their time. 
the conclusion is clear. When we cooperate with God's timing, life will not be monotonous, nor will it be meaningless. Two grand statements in Scripture help us to see that this passage does not encourage us to order and fix our own time, but to fit into His time. In other words, we're not encouraged to order, to make, or build up our own and fix our own time, but to fit into His time. Psalm 31, turn there, please. Psalm 31, verses 11 through 15. Now, I could have gone straight to the one verse that we want to look at, but this is a Psalm of David. And this is a good example of what I was saying dealing with not ordering or fixing our own time, but fitting into God's time. David went through some struggles. He talks about some of them here. Verse 11, I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without, they that did see me without fled from me. In other words, they saw me outside of where they were, and they fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. Well, that's pretty bleak. The scene that, that David is, is revealing to us. To some, if we stop right where we did, they would say, oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Where is God? Where is God when I need him? But they don't read the next verse. Verse 14. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. And here is the verse I want you to see. David says, My times are in thy hand. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. We sometimes in this world, we stop short of that. I wonder how many professing believers during the last couple of months have stopped short. They, they've just kind of seen everything that's been happening here and, and, and they've been brought to, to this tremendous fear of, of, of this virus and this tremendous fear of going beyond anything that's, going, you know, that, that's being told them. You know, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, you need to stay in your house, you need to you know, be sequestered or, or, or quarantined or whatever. You hear all of these terms, social distancing, wear your masks, clean your hands. My, hands are, my skin's falling off, you know, we clean our hands all, all the time. But there are those who have gotten to a point where they haven't even looked to God. What's happening, Lord? 
Well, let me just interject here that part of the problem is they probably haven't even studied Scripture. And they haven't studied prophecy. And they haven't seen that we're getting close to the coming of Jesus Christ. And we need to be ready for that. And these are some things that are waking us up, as I've been saying over the last few weeks. God is waking up his church. But the point is, have we gotten to verse 14? But I trusted in thee, O Lord. David trusted in God. Are we trusting in God every moment of the day? Are we trusting in God every time we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, this is a, new, this is a day you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Are we rejoicing in the, in the Lord? Yes, we're frustrated. Yes, we're tired of what we see happening. But God is still in control. And his time is perfect. His timing is perfect. And then, of course, there's Romans 8, 28, where Paul says, and, I, and we know that all things, all things, not some things, all things work together for good to them that love God. Well, I, I don't want you to miss that last phrase, that love God. All things work together for good to them that love God. You need to love God, folks. You need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which means you need to surrender completely and totally to him in love and in mercy and in his grace and in his truth. To them were the called according to his purpose. There's purpose again. God gives us purpose so that all things will work together for good. You can actually bring that verse of scripture that, say, that says he has made all things beautiful, purposeful, in his time. So we get back to our text and we find 14 pairs of events that are mentioned by Solomon, 14 contrasts in life. But each and every one of them are familiar to us all. For example, verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. We could ask the question tonight, who controls life and death? Who controls life and death? Does man control life and death? Well, worldly man unregenerate man. They like to think that they control life and death. They really would like to think that they control it. I mean, let's consider abortion. Let's consider euthanasia. What about in vitro fertilization? All these things that, you know, man says, well, look at what we've come up with. Who needs God when we can do this? So they may think that they control things. But what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say? Job 33, verse 4. One of the better things that Elihu said, he said, the Spirit of God has made me 
and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. God is the only one that can give life. The only one. Which, by the way, means that he can also take life. God is in control of all that. Even what he allows the enemy, who is about death, to do. Because Satan cannot do anything, even outside of God's will. God is in control of life. That's hard for us to ponder sometimes because loved ones die. And when they die, we're pained by that. We just heard recently this, this week, and I would ask you to pray for Dorini and Susie Marquez, uh, Susie's sister, uh, Doreen, who was would come either on Saturday night or, or first service Sunday morning. And, and she just loved the Lord. She just worshiped the Lord with her hands up in the air, worshiping God. She went home to be with the Lord this week. And I've spoken with Susie and her heart's grieving. But she said, but I know where Doreen is. She's with her God. She's with her Christ. She's with her Jesus. David in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12 said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Don't take that spirit of life from me, Lord. Don't cast me from your presence. These are inspired words. These are not just ideas that David thought. They're inspired. The Spirit of God. There are those like Voltaire who have said, I wish I had never been born. Well, see, Solomon kind of playing with that, you know, here in the book of Ecclesiastes. But I want to ask you a question. It's a serious question. Do we bless God that we were born? Do we thank God each and every day for life and for purpose and for meaning? Because if we do, then let us love life and recognize the value of the life that God has given to us, that we may fill it with Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. We need to love life. We need to recognize the value of that life that God has given to us so that we may fill that life with Jesus Christ. Every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ. We need to fill our lives each and every day with Jesus Christ. One of the great purposes of that is because we are to be light to this dark world. How can we be light if we don't have the light of Christ in us? We need to be men and women who think of life as, as the seed time for eternity. Life is the seed time for eternity. 
Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, exercise your, your salvation with fear and trembling. Fearing God. Fearing the awesomeness of the God who saved us. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God who works in you. It is God who works in us as believers. The God who is in control of all time. The God who is in control of all things. The God who has given us life and knows our beginning and our end. Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. The steps of a good man. Now follow along with me here on this point. Man may plow, man may sow, but it is God alone who gives the increase. God always gives the increase. In other words, we are to cooperate with God's principles. We are to cooperate with God's principles. Listen, what we need to be as believers today is diligent and discerning of all that we are to do in obedience to Christ. We are to be diligent and discerning. That's our, con- that's our contribution to what God is doing in our life. Being diligent, discerning in our obedience, we offer that as our contribution to what God does. But it's God that does it. It is the Lord that does it. Jeremiah 4, verse 3. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. Notice what he tells them. Break up your fellow ground. Break up that hard, crusty ground of your heart. Break it up and sow not among thorns. So he's not saying, just sit there and I'll sow for you. No, he says, you sow. Or you break up the fellow ground. You go out there. And you soften your hearts. You water your hearts with the word of God. And don't sow, don't sow seed among thorns. So that's, you know, that's where we are to cooperate with God's principles. The Lord says, don't go in this direction. Go this way, then go this way. But you go. God is in control. You take a step of faith each time you know that God is calling you in that certain direction. And then there are these other things that we are familiar with. A time to kill and a time to heal. This kill here is not murder. Sometimes we have to apply this particular word to to justified um, execution. It's a word that was used in that sense even in the Old Testament, about those who needed to, have, to be judged for certain sins. A time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Very self-understanding things or self-evident things. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. There's a time for everything, and there's a season for everything. 
and a purpose behind it all. And then there's a time to cast away stones and, and a time to gather stones together. An interesting phrase. There was a, uh, a certain thing that was done by enemies. If a person that was your enemy was uh, clearing out uh, their land to plant uh, whatever seed they wanted to plant, it took a lot to clear out the, the ground, especially in the Middle East. There were a lot of stones. It took weeks, sometimes maybe even months. But once they got it, what enemies would do is to keep them from planting, they would go and throw rocks, a lot of rocks, into a field, and they would not be able to plant. So there was a time to cast away stones. But it's interesting that the time to gather stones together was to gather those stones to build something. And there's references throughout the Old Testament, and, and, and not a lot of them, but there's some references to those who would take the stones that were in their land, and they would use it to build walls or to build towers. So you take what was not good, and you would make something that would be good. So a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Obviously, we've had to learn that with social distancing, which kind of still goes against some of the things that God has called us to do as believers in Jesus Christ, to embrace one another in the love of Christ. As I said the other day, the holy kiss, you know. But a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. So, going back to the stones for just a moment, stones are neither good or bad outside of the way they are used. So it all depends on what you do with those things. What do you do with the stones that you have cast away? Verses 7 and 8 says a time to rend or to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. The tearing of one's garment was usually done during a time of grief or repentance. But afterward comes the time to mend our lives from such burdens. We have to go on with life. Sometimes there are people who just can't go beyond the grief. But again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon says, you have to get beyond the tearing. You need to sew. Sew is in sewing the garment back together. Sewing your life back together. A time to love and a time to hate. Scripture encourages us to hate sin. There's a time to hate things, not to hate people, 
to hate the sin that so easily besets us. These are things that we have to understand in the full picture of life, a time of war and a time of peace. So that is focusing our attention upward on the God that is in control of all things. But lastly, as we come to a close here tonight, we're also to look inward. We're to look inward because God cares about all. He cares about all of us. He cares about all that we have, all that we do, all that we don't have. He cares about everything in our lives. Verse 9, What profit has he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? What profit? If we consider under the sun, Solomon has already said it's all vanity. And he says, I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. I've seen the travail. Then he says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart. So that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. So the question is, is all this labor really worth it? Is all this labor that we're doing on this earth, is it really worth it? God is now brought into the picture. And, and his conclusion is this. Man's life is a gift from God. That's verse 10. Man's life is a gift of God. I have seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. The travail that is a part of our life. That's why I say man's life is a gift from God and everything that is in it and with it. So here's the thing that we need to learn tonight. That outlook helps to determine outcome. Our outlook will help to determine the outcome of our life. And Solomon says that man's life is linked with eternity. That's verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart. So understand this. We were created in the image of God. I'll explain the world, the, the use of the word world there. But we were created in the image of God and given dominion over creation. And hence, man is different from the rest of creation. That the Lord has set the world in our hearts is what, it, is what links us to heaven. Because the Hebrew word olam refers to eternity, it refers to the ages, and it refers to time in its completeness. And so it won't be until eternity that we will begin to comprehend God's total plan for us. But we can rest assured that God will make all things beautiful in his time. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to have in our hearts. That there is an eternity. And in eternity, every question we've ever asked will be answered. Every question of value, I should say, will be answered. I want to leave you with these two verses of Scripture. The first one is in Proverbs 19, verse 21. 
There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. God's counsel will always stand, no matter what devices we come up with. I've known a lot of people that have come up with all kinds of ideas and thoughts. They've tried to run with it a thousand times if they've tried to run with it once. And each time, it didn't produce anything of value. It's not that the Lord didn't want to help. (laughs) It's that they didn't give it to the Lord to begin with. Man can devise a lot of things. But it is the counsel of God, the counsel of the Lord, that will always stand. God cares. And he doesn't care just about what we have in this life. This is what he cares about. I close with Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. He knows that death is the destiny of all those who are tainted with sin from the beginning. The wages of sin. For all the labor of our life, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, what God has given to man, who he created in his image, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Time to be born. Time to die. For the believer, a time to be born, a time to die, and a time to be born again, and to be alive for eternity with Jesus Christ. Come to him now. If you've never come to Jesus before, come to him now.